Okay, we are in uh, uh, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and so remember what we're doing is we're just tracking the life of Jesus. We're using Luke as our chronological order setting parameter, and then we look at the other Gospels. So we spent a lot of time in in Matthew, and now we're going back to Luke to pick it up. So again, we're, we're still chronological here. Luke chapter 2, verse 39 When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So remember, when he was about two years old, they had gone to Egypt because Herod sought Jesus' life to kill him. Uh, When Herod then died... uh, Uh, Jesus was about four years old, comes back to uh, uh, the land of Israel, and Joseph is is told to go and and, uh, uh, go up to Galilee to stay away from uh, Herod's son, one of Herod's sons in in particular, who was uh, uh, really quite vicious there in Judea. And so he went up to stay in the Galilee, and that was... That was governed then by Herod Antipas, who wasn't as violent as his brother. Uh, And so that's where Jesus grew up. And so that's what we see in verse 39, that he returned to Galilee. So this is about, Jesus is about four years old. And remember, Jesus was born at about 7 B.C. He was not born, uh, uh, so so the date was assigned wrongly. Uh, uh, He was born at about 7 B.C. And we know that from all the other things that were going on around it, because we know that Herod himself died in 3 or 4 B.C. And we know that Jesus had, you know, there were certain interactions where Herod had tried to kill Jesus. So, so um, Jesus is now around 4 years old in verse 39. And in verse 40 it says, The child continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So now uh, uh, we don't see anything until he's 12 years old. So in verse 40 he's growing, he's becoming strong, meaning he's increasing in it. In, 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 uh, physically, but he's also increasing in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And we're going to see how he got this wisdom. Now in verse 41 of Luke chapter 2. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast and they were returning after spending the full number of days. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And they, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you, that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And they went down with him, and, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So, uh, let me give you a little bit of, of the history of, of what happened in this time period. When a child, when a, a boy was five years old, he started to learn the Torah. 
That is the first five books of Moses. So remember that the entire Old Testament they call uh, uh, the Tanakh. The first five books, the books of Moses, uh, uh, they call the Torah. And they focus, even to this day, 95% of their study of the scriptures is in the first five books. And 5% in the rest of the Tanakh. Uh, so they start learning the, the, the Torah at the age of five. So at the age of five, that's when he would have started to learn this. At the age of ten, they start learning the oral law, which, for, which was beginning to be put down in a formalized form at that time, called the Mishnah. It was this Mishnah, the oral law, which Jesus refused to come under later on in his life, and we'll see that. He fulfilled all the commandments of Moses. Moses gave 613 commandments, 10 of which we call the Ten Commandments, but there were 613. So there were 603 plus the 10, 613, they were all a unit. Jesus fulfilled them all. He fulfilled the entire law. He absolutely refused to be in subjection to the rules of men. Now, at the age of 12, often a family would bring their son to Jerusalem with them for the Passover feast in preparation for the age of 13 the next year. When they would turn 13, they would get bar mitzvah. Now, bar mitzvah is something that is done today in the Jewish community. It was also done in the first century. So Jesus would have been alive during the period of the bar mitzvah. We have no record of that of him ever getting bar mitzvah. We don't know if he did, but if he was following the tradition of that day, not the scripture of that day, but the tradition of that day, it would have been typical for him to go through a bar mitzvah, a time of, of where he expresses himself in Hebrew and shows that he can read and write and that, that uh, uh, he takes on manhood, in a sense, uh, at the bar mitzvah. But this is at the age of 12. 12, they often brought the boy down. Now, also, also at the age of 12, they would start to be an apprentice. So if they were going to be in the, in the line of their father, uh, and, and Jesus' father, it says he was a carpenter, and actually the word carpenter speaks of not just woodwork, but also stonework, because most work in Israel is stonework, because there are very few trees there. There's more trees now, because they've gone in, in the last 30 years and planted a lot, but there were very few trees. Uh, many of them had been cut down in the sieges, but there was a lot of stone. And so there was stonework being done. So Jesus would have been trained in that. Uh, but if a boy was going to be trained in a profession that was not his father's profession, at the age of 12, that boy would go live in another's home and learn from that man that new profession. That's what would happen at the age of 12. So they go down. The parents go down in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So they had to go twice a year. It was mandatory that they go twice a year. The Feast of Passover was one of the, the feasts that they had to go to. So we see that they are very much of the believing remnant of Israel, Jesus' family. Remember, they offered up the offerings. We had covered that for, for Mary in purification. They offered up the offerings for Jesus when he was born. And now they're coming for the Feast of Passover. They would generally stay after for a day after the Feast of Passover for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They generally wouldn't travel on that day. So this is now a few days after Passover. They're returning. And it says, uh, uh, verse 42, And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And they were returning after spending the full numbers of days 
The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among the relatives and acquaintances. So, here they thought Jesus, so they would travel in groups. It was much safer in those days to travel in groups. And as they were traveling, so I would say, you know, I, I certainly have never walked it, but from, from Galilee, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, I'm guessing five days walk, something like that, four or five days walk. Uh, and it depends on how fast you're going to go. If you're going to hike it like, you know, young people throw a, 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 a pack on their back and they walk very quickly, I mean, you could do it faster. But if, you, if you're just talk, talking about typical walking speed, we're talking about several days' journey. Uh, if you were going to drive it, it would be, it would be, I guess now it would probably be something like two hours, something in that time from from Jerusalem to Nazareth, two and a half hours, something like that. So, uh, uh, and and then what happened was was uh, they thought that he was in the caravan. They traveled in groups, and you see that that this happens sometimes. So so think of this young couple. They're all of a sudden without their son. You, know, you, you lose track of a kid in, a, in, in, say, a mall. I mean, you start sweating bullets very, very quickly. And, and uh, uh, every parent has experienced this, where they turn around, their kid is gone. And it's, it's a scary thing. So I am sure these parents were really quite, quite alarmed when they realized that their son was not in this group among them. Uh, not only that, it was, might have even been harder on them because here they lost the Son of God. <laughs> they lost the Lord. I mean, they, they could probably be in big trouble for that. Um, so this, this was especially difficult. Uh, uh, they're supposed to care for this one, and now he's gone. And so they look for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and they can't find him. And so what happens is, it says that they had already traveled a day's journey. And when they didn't find him, it, it, it says, and when they did not find him, in verse 45, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. So Jesus is without them for a day's journey as they go away. Then they have a day's journey back. So that's now two days they're without Jesus. And now it says, uh, verse 46, then after three days they found him in the temple. So they're without Jesus for five days. So it's on the sixth day they then find him. That's a long time. That's a long time. And in fact, if it's the sixth day, remember, so the the Sabbath was Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. Then they had uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was on Sunday. And so now this could well be that, that now Jesus is sitting during the Sabbath on that following Friday night or probably Saturday morning, sitting in the temple. So they find him in the temple. And it's really quite interesting. This is the typical Jewish mother. Jewish mothers run with their children. And, and I know this because I'm Jewish. This is, this is the way it happens. Jewish mothers run on guilt. This is what happens. And, and, and let me explain to you. If you have an Italian mother, and I'm not picking on Italians. I'm just saying I, I knew a lot of Italians when I was in junior high school. I met a lot of Italians. And Italian mothers are like this. If a kid is not eating their food, an Italian mother will say, uh, if you don't eat that food, I will kill you. Now, it sounds tough, but this is how Italian mothers are. And I know it's not politically correct, but this is what they do. You don't eat that food, I'm going to kill you. 
You know, they say stuff like this. This is not what a Jewish mother says. What a Jewish mother says is, if you don't eat that food, I'm going to kill myself. This is typical Jewish mother, just running on guilt. And so look what she says. Verse 48, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. So instead of saying, why did you do this? Why have you treated us this way? It's, it's, it's the whole guilt thing that, that you, they just take it back on themselves. And the mother, typical Jewish mother, bringing the father into it. The father says, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. <clears throat> so when you, when you look at it in this context, this, this has real meaning for me. The way Mary approached this thing. But in any case, it says above that, they found him in the temple. He was sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Now, you will, you will often hear people say, um, uh, uh, this, 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 um, this man said to his rabbi, why, why do you always ask me questions? And the rabbi says, why not? Typical Jewish instruction by the rabbi is through questioning. That is the way typical instruction will go. They will ask questions. And, and uh, so, so uh, a, a classic example is the Jewish mother says to her son when he was at school, he, she says, did you ask good questions today? This is typical Jewish instruction that as, if, if, if you're proficient, you are the one asking good questions. So Jesus was asking questions, but he wasn't only asking questions. They were obviously asking questions of him because it says in verse 47, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So that he was answering means that he had to have been asking questions. People had to have been asking questions of him. So he had this really in-depth understanding, far more than a typical 12-year-old. And he's quite comfortable sitting in the midst of all these teachers. You keep, take a typical 12-year-old, they don't want to hang out around, you know, the professors. They don't, they don't generally feel like, like they're, they're suitable. But once in a while, you meet a young person who feels especially, you know, I'd like to do that. And, and, and uh, I'm always impressed by that sort of young people, young person. I was not that way. In fact, growing up in the synagogue, the rabbis scared me because they were always walking around mumbling and they were obviously saying their prayers, but, you, you know, I wonder, what are all these old guys walking all around all the blah, 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 walking around mumbling all the time. So I used to avoid them. Uh, but clearly he was comfortable in their midst. And he sat in their midst and he was probably sitting in the midst of, of these teachers. And, and they don't just study on the Sabbath day. They study all the time and they get together all the time. And, and uh, you go down to the Wailing Wall today, I mean... Seven days a week, they are there studying, and, and in your, their yeshivas today, their, their little seminaries, their little Bible colleges in a sense, they're there all the time studying. So he's sitting there in the temple, and he's hearing them, asking the questions, he's sitting in their midst, and, and uh, uh, actually, uh, uh, that he's sitting is exactly what he should be doing. And what happens is the rabbi also sits. And you'll see this same sort of pattern in the scriptures that, that Jesus would often sit down and then begin to, te- begin to teach the multitudes. This is typical rabbi instruction. The rabbi sits. He's not like, like in a church where the, where, where the teacher stands up. The rabbi will often sit 
and people will sit around him and there will be instruction. So Jesus is asking these questions and then they look at him, just throw, Mary throws at him this guilt trip and his reply is this in verse 49. Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And actually, uh, uh, that, that in, in verse 49, that translation is, did you not know that I had to be in the things of my father or in my father's affairs? It is not merely in his house. It is clearly in my father's affairs. Jesus is looking at this as his apprenticeship. It is normal that I should be in his house. I, it is normal that I should be in my father's house. He's 12 years old. This is, in his mind, his apprenticeship. This is why he says to them, why is it that you were looking for me? He had assumed that they would understand that at 12 years old, he's being apprenticed. This is where he should be. He says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's affairs? This is his apprenticeship. This is where he should have moved into that home. Much like... Uh, uh, you remember Samuel. Samuel, at a young age, was put under Eli's instruction. And he grew up in that. Jesus should have grown up in this. But it says they didn't understand him in this. And, and uh, uh, they didn't understand the statement in verse 50. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is north of Jerusalem. But everything from Jerusalem, you say you go down because Jerusalem is on a mountain. So they went down to Nazareth, even though, though it, Nazareth is north of Jerusalem. You still go down this very long hill. It's about 2,500 feet up to the, the mountain top in Jerusalem. So you go down to Nazareth, which is sitting on the southern part of the valley, the valley of Armageddon, where that, that uh, uh, valley will be where the last fight will be, where many wars have been fought in the past. Um, but, you see, he goes down to them and it says, and he came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So Jesus should have been apprenticed there in Jerusalem, but he goes in subjection to them. This is a clear understanding that subjection is a positional thing. It's not an experience thing. You can have a person in a church who knows much more about the Scriptures and is a better teacher than, say, the senior pastor. This can happen. But the senior pastor is in charge. It's a thing of position. You continue in subjection and, and, and there's, there, there, there's a willingness to subject yourself to the other not based on who knows the most. You could say in the university, you could have, you know, the president of the university isn't generally the most scholarly person in the university. And they're supposed to not be scholarly. They're supposed to be good fundraisers. That's the president's job. But, but everyone in the university has, has to be in subjection to the president. And then the president, and ultimately everyone is in subjection to the board of trustees. Now, the board of trustees... Lots of these people have very little education. They're just wealthy people. And they're good business people. And you get wealthy, good business people. Why? Because, first of all, you hit up the board of trustees in the university all the time for money. So, what will the board of trustees do, for example? They will match dollar for dollar anything that any faculty or staff give. Now, remember, there's lots of faculty and staff, and there's a board of directors, which is only about 18 people. Uh, a, a, a board of governors or, or a board of trustees. So they have. To, so, well, why do they do this? Because they're rich people. 
So, in other words, subjection isn't just because you know more. Jesus clearly was growing and understanding more, but he continued in subjection to his parents. And he learned the trade of his father. Because it says later on that Jesus was a carpenter like his father, Joseph, was. Meaning that he worked both in wood and in stone. So, subjection doesn't mean that... that, that uh, uh, if, someone, if you're subject to somebody, that they're automatically better. It is a positional thing. In the Scriptures, it says, it says clearly that, that husbands and wives are to be in subjection one to another. And then the next verse in Ephesians chapter 5 is, wives be in subjection to your husband. But the verse just above that is be in subjection one to another. I mean, when it comes to certain things, I mean, I subject to Shireen. I mean, she knows things better than I do, like when it comes to cooking meals. You know, we have people over and I'll, you know, she's cooking this grand meal and I'll walk into the kitchen and I'll say, uh, don't do that. Do it this way. And she'll look at, at me like, you're telling me how to prepare this meal. I say, okay, I, I get it. Yeah. And, and uh, because she knows what she's doing in that realm. I mean, she really knows how to coordinate these things and take care of it. I mean, I'm like, well, why do you need tablecloths? I mean, what's the big deal? You just go right on the table. That way something spills is even easier, right? No, I, mean, I have to subject myself to her counsel in that. She knows what she's doing. We subject ourselves in counsel to one to another. That's what the scriptures say. So, but anyway, you say, how did Jesus learn all of this that he could sit at the feet of these people? In fact, Galilee, as, as Roger was teaching this morning, the ga- being in the Galilee uh, was not a particularly good school system. In fact, if you really wanted to learn and be taught, you were in Jerusalem. If you were up in the Galilee, that, that was a poor educational system. How would this young boy learn all of this? So, some things we learn about Jesus, not in the Gospels, we learn it from the Old Testament, prophetically. There are many things that we learn prophetically that aren't specifically talked about in detail like they were talked about prophetically in the Old Testament. So, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50 gives us a clue on how Jesus learned all of these things. Isaiah chapter 50. Because remember, in his humanity, he had to learn just like any other man. In Isaiah chapter 50, reading from verse 4. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is the one who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So you see, in, in, starting in verse 4, this is clearly a prophetic word concerning Jesus. What happened in, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. 
He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Keep your finger right there in Isaiah 50 because we're coming back. But if you look in Mark chapter 1, you see Jesus fulfilling this very thing of going off early in the morning. Everyone else is sleeping. He's out praying. Isaiah, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark 1, 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So you see, Jesus had this habit of rising early in the morning and going off to pray. This is spoken of prophetically in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Jesus said, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen to the disciple. If you will do this, He will do the same in your life. If you will rise up and spend time with the Lord, He will do the same in your life. It is not... Satan that keeps us from having fellowship with God. It is we ourselves. If we will set a time to spend time with Him, He will speak to our hearts. He will awaken you morning by morning. You can pray this prayer. Lord, let me arise in the morning. Awaken me in the morning. You will have a time with the Lord. He will begin to speak to you. You read the Scriptures. He will begin to speak to you. You pray. You have that time of fellowship. Very few Christians take hold of this. The Scriptures speak of this quite explicitly. The blessing that comes by meditation on the Word of God. And here he says, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. This is where Jesus learned this. Not only did he hear and listen, it says God trained him how to speak in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Jesus learned how to speak. He learned how to sustain the weary one with a word. He could speak a word and sustain the weary one. How did he learn this? He wasn't learning this from Mary and Joseph. They were just regular people. Joseph was just a carpenter. He he was not a learned man. How could he learn this? By spending time with God. I have met men that have very little education, but they spend time reading the Scriptures and meditating on the Word of God every day, and you speak to them and you say, wow, this guy knows a lot, a lot. Now you start speaking about scientific subjects and you say, this guy doesn't know anything. But then you start speaking about things of life. They know so much. They learn it from the Scriptures. What does it say uh, about the disciples? It says that they were not learned men. When, so when they, when they saw Peter and John, they perceived that, that, that Peter was not a learned man, but they said, this man, we could tell that he's been with Jesus. Peter had sat three and a half years at the feet of Jesus and learned a lot. And that's why he was able to stand up and to speak and to give the testimony that he gave before the, the Sanhedrin when they would call him in. Because he had spent time with Jesus. If you will spend time with Jesus... He will bless you more than you understand. He will bless you in your career. You say, well, I'm going to be a physician. Why do I need that? Because you will be a much better physician if you have spent time with Jesus. You will be a much better professor if you spend time with Jesus. What He will do is He will give you an ability to listen. He'll give you an ability to hear. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you an ability to speak. You want to know a class of people that really are not very good speakers? It's physicians. You know, that's not something they learn how to do. He will give you the ability to speak as a physician. 
He will give you the ability to speak as an engineer. You spend time with Him. He will allow, He will touch your mouth and allow you to sustain the weary one with a word. He gives ability. God does this. And then you see that He strengthened Jesus for the situations at hand. God will do this also. Sometimes I can wake up so flustered just because I'm just a million things going through my mind of all the things that I have to do that day. Have you ever woken up and the first thing you're doing, you're just nervous of all the stuff you've got to get done? And I will get before the Lord with my Bible and I will spend some time reading the Scriptures and meditating on the Word of God and praying and I come out of that time like a roaring lion. That's why Mrs. Harrison got me this lion tie, right? I will come out of this like a roaring lion because the Scriptures say... That, that the wicked man flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I will be totally calm, yet able to take on the things of the world. God will do this through you if you will wake up and spend time with Him. Remember, it's not the devil that's keeping you from this, it's you yourself. And in order to do this, you have to have the discipline to go to bed at a time knowing that you'll be able to then get up and spend time with Him. It takes discipline the night before. But this comes through human discipline. You say, well, you're very busy, da-da-da. Look, I have been there. I have done that. I studied a lot, very much in college. I know what it's like. But I disciplined myself. I disciplined my time. So when people say, I don't know what it's like, you're wrong. I really know what it's like. I have been there and I have done that. And I spent a lot of time studying. In fact, I bet I studied more than the vast majority of people. And it's because I was... Not that good, so I had to put in a lot more time. There's only one person who might, might study more than me, and that's Leanne. But, but I'm not sure about that. I mean, I spent a lot of time studying. And, and, uh, uh, and then he, you see how he prepared him for what was at hand. In verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 50, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. So the Lord began to speak to him. He says, I gave my back to those who strike me. I gave my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. This is exactly the, this is the scourging that Jesus went through. It says that they beat him. They beat him and it says that they plucked out his beard. It says that they spit in his face. It says he didn't hide his face from humiliation and spitting. Think about this. This is so unnatural. You're sitting there and people are coming and spitting in your face. The soldiers were coming and spitting in his face. But Jesus did not do this. He did not turn away. It says he didn't cover his face from humiliation and spitting. He just looked directly at them and let them spit in his face. Very unnatural. He didn't cover his face from humiliation and spitting. I mean, if anyone's going to get spit in the face, they're going to cover their face. He didn't cover his face. How could he do this? Because God had prepared him for this during his life of spending time before him. God had prepared him for what was going to come. This is not unique. God will do this in your life. If you will spend time with him, he will do this in your life. He will prepare you for what's before you. I know this. I know this. When I was growing up, the, 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 the sleeve on my shirt was always chewed up. Because I was such a nervous little kid, I was always chewing on this. I could never look an adult in the face. And my mother would always tell me, she said, 
you have to look the teacher in the face and talk to them. But I couldn't do it. I would just look down. Whoever would have thought that God would call me into settings where I've got to speak to hundreds and thousands of people on stage. It makes absolutely no sense in myself. But when I started to pick up the Word of God and started to read it, what would happen is in the morning, in my morning times alone, I would be in my room and, and, and I would be picking up the Word of God and I'd just start speaking it, just start speaking it. And I'd find myself with the Word of God walking around my room speaking the Word of God. Very strange sort of habit. But what was God doing? I was just a young college student. What was God doing? He was preparing me for what would come. Preparing me for what would come. I remember these opportunities would open up and I, to speak in churches. I was just a college student to speak in churches. And I'd be so nervous about this. And I'd get up and I'd practice this. And I'd just walk around the room practicing these sermons that I'd have to give. I was just a college student. I was in graduate school and I'd be speaking before whole churches. God was opening doors for me. This kid who couldn't look an adult in the face, now having to stand in all of these settings. What does God do? God takes you, takes us in our weakness and makes us strong. He takes that which is weak within us. He says, I will confound the wise through you. Through you I will confound the wise. I will take those who are weak and I will make them strong. I will take the foolish of this world and confound the wise. This is what he says. I'll take the foolish of this world and confound the wise. You are weak. You lack something. You spend time with God and you will see that He will fill you. He will fill you to overflowing. This is what He does. This is what Jesus got from this time. You spend time with your Heavenly Father. You spend time with your Father and He will begin to strengthen you from deep within. He will do this. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray for these young people that you so work in their lives, that they would learn what it is to come before you, that they would awaken morning by morning, that you would awaken their ear to listen as a disciple, that you would give them a tongue that could sustain the weary one with just a word, to be able to speak a word that will sustain another. Father, I pray for these young people that you will move in their lives, that you would so fill and move in their lives. Father, move upon them, I pray. Touch them, I pray. Father, the grace of God be upon them. The grace of God be there. Your mercies and your grace be there. Bless them richly, I pray. May they take hold of your word and walk in it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.